Life is serious, isn't it? I used to tell um, the youth group um, when I was a youth pastor down in Dayton that today in this church service is a life and death situation. Today's a life and death situation. Now, for some people, um, it might be a real situation, right? But the way that we listen today, the way that we engage today's life and death, the way that we humble ourselves before God today is life and death. The way that we repent today is a life and death situation. See, the way that we respond in this service is going to set the trajectory for the rest of our day. And if we wake up tomorrow, the way that we respond to God's mercies in the morning will set the trajectory of either life or death. What are you choosing today, life or death? So the church, um, the church has been fasting for now going on two weeks. Thank you all who are participating. If you have not done well with it or you feel like you have failed, well, you woke up today and scripture says his mercies are more, right? His grace and his mercy is renewed each morning. So get up and do it again. Now, don't use that as an excuse, right? Because every time we use God's word as an excuse to sin, number one, we're, we are extremely deceived. The moment you use God's scriptures to say, justify your sin in the sense of I'm going to sin, you are madly deceived. Sin should never be out of a place of I want to do this or I know that God will forgive me. It should always be out of a place of whoops, make me more holy, right? But his mercy is more this morning. So if you've messed up and you've accidentally eaten a piece of pizza, <laughs> accidentally ordered, <laughs> you called Matt from the bowling alley at <laughs> lunchtime. Hey, can I get a large buffalo chicken? And whoops. If you've accidentally eaten, if you've on purpose, if you've eaten on purpose, his mercies are more. But what the church is doing is we are fasting because we do believe that scripture says when you fast. So as a believer, there's, there's seasons of your life that you will fast. Maybe that's, that fasting is um, two days, maybe it's one day, maybe it's 12 hours, maybe it's one meal. What we are fasting from essentially is from sunup to sundown. And then at sundown, you get a feast, and before the sun, sun comes up, you can feast again. So we've been doing that because what we recognize is um, God calls us to fast. Not only does God call us to fast, but we recognize there's a deficit right now, not only within this church community, but within this world. And people fast in Scripture when, when God calls them to fast, but then also for, you know, several different reasons, ten different reasons we talked about several weeks ago. And what I really believe needs to take place is a greater repentance, not only within leadership here, not only within the congregation here, but within the nation. But before we point the proverbial finger at the nation or at the nation's leaders or at our county leaders or our school board leaders or the state leaders, before we point that finger anywhere else, we need to first focus on ourselves. See, uh, 
there's the famous song that says, we keep on waiting on the world to change, right? And was it Mother Teresa who said, be the change that you want to see? And if there's those in this room who are saying right now, well, I don't have anything to repent of. Everything's good in my life. Please respond at the altar right now. <laughs> See, I had this dream, and, and many of you guys have heard this, but others of you need to realize this. This wasn't like I have a dream. This was I was sleeping and I had a dream to where this church was full. There was one seat empty over here, but the church was full. And... Um, while, uh, you know, we were ended up worshiping, and then I came up to share a word, and right as I began to share this word, what I ended up seeing is, like, the mantle of leadership. So the mantle of leadership means those that God has called, the mantle. God's put a mantle on them to be leaders. Some God has put the mantle on to be preachers um, or pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, Right? So the mantle of leadership that God has called, so it doesn't have to specifically be like just our leaders here at the church, but the mantle, right? You're with me. So what, was, what ended up happening in this dream is those who God called to be leaders needed deliverance. There was something that they were distracted by. There was some, something that um, they veered off or they're not focusing on him right. So the mantle of leadership was being delivered from the demonic, not like there was possession, but there was certainly like entanglement, right? So they were being delivered. And as leadership was delivered, then what ended up happening is the whole congregation, everyone here, ended up responding at the altar in deep repentance. Just what I heard was actually gut-wrenching groans and cries unto God. Just like people couldn't even like control themselves. It wasn't like out of control, like shaking and convulsing, right? But there was just this deep groan from, from people's spirits and people were being connected to like, I do have like this inner person that I was never aware of, which is my spirit. And people were groaning out and crying and confessing their sins unto God. And they were the simplest sins because they recognized how unholy they were. God, I jaywalked today. God, I had a poor attitude today. And of course, there were, there, there were deeper sins but when we face God, there's going to be this, this um, knowledge of how imperfect and unholy we are before a holy God. Thus, we need to repent. And many people throughout this fast have got a hold of me, and they're like, hey, who are we fasting for specifically? Are we fasting for, like, the nation's leaders, or are we fasting for the church leaders? And I'm like, well, both. But spe specifically, what we're focusing on right now is church leaders, you're like, well, that's a pretty prideful um, ask, isn't it, to ask for prayer? In what world would we not want to pray for our church leaders? Amen? And if you're not praying for your church leaders, don't come up and critique my sermon later. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> that's going to be my new statement. <laughs> you want to critique me today? Did you pray for me? All right. Next. Because you're only as serious about seeing change as you are praying about something. Amen? So I do ask that you pray that as, as I do preach, that as I do share from God's word, that I will be an effective 
um, effective, streamlined preacher that shares God's truth and his truth alone. Amen? So please, continually pray for me that way. But what I recognize is, is repentance needs to take place. So people have asked, do we really need to pray for church leadership? Or while I was praying, this came up. Pride came up, or arrogance came up, or this came up, or that came up, or this came up. And they're like, are you sure you're talking about your church leadership? Well, heck yeah. There's a lot of pride on the elders. There's a lot of pride in the deacons. There's a lot of pride in your pastor. There's a lot of deceit in your elders. There's a lot of deceit in your deacons. There's a lot of deceit sitting in the seats today. Amen? And until we're willing to say, hey, God, we got a problem, we're going to keep on walking in the wilderness. And right, that, right now, the American church is in a wilderness that they don't want to get out of. Right now, many people in this room are in a wilderness that they don't want to get out of. The way we get out of a wilderness is start following God again. To turn from our ways and I hope some people's hearts are getting stepped on and toes are getting stepped on when I'm talking about there being pride in this room because there is. Right? So until we turn from leading ourselves in the wilderness and turn to God, repent and turn to him and say, everything is your way once again. We're gonna keep on being messed up. We're gonna keep on feeling like, why isn't church fulfilling my spirit? Why am I not understanding the scriptures when I read it? Where is the spirit? Where is the peace? Where is the joy? Where is the fruit? Where are people being saved? Where are people being set free? Why can't I buck this sin? Because we need to align our hearts with God once again through repentance. So we've asked you to join us in fasting from sunup to sundown, six to six, as a cry of desperation to God. We need you. We need you. Because I'm not crafty enough, I'm not wise enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not fast enough. I don't have enough hairs on my head. To do it right. I can't do it right. So God, get us to this place again where, where we respond in your presence from our spirits, from our guts, just crying out, all we want is you. And in the book that the men are reading, maybe I shared this last week, I know I shared it Wednesday when we came in here to pray. Um, in the book we're reading, John Bevere said this, when people are worshiping, or when the angels are worshiping, Angels are not merely singing worship songs. What angels are doing are attesting to what they see. So when the angels right now in heaven that are singing holy, 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 they're not merely reading a projector. They're not being encouraged or stirred up to sing another song. What the angels are doing is they're attesting to what they see. When in the past five years have we came in here and attested to what we saw in God's presence? 
We've been in his presence and we're just not singing a song. We're just not getting caught up in the emotional music. We're saying, God, I am, I am a worshiper of one right now. I don't care what anyone else is doing in this sanctuary. I don't care what anyone else thinks of me. I am singing to you and all that I see right now is you are holy, you are holy, and you are holy. And I'm going to say that as loud as I need to. I'm going to sing that. I'm going to shout and I'm going to dance. Holy, 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 holy. See, there's a difference of seeing and just singing songs. And what I really believe right now is our church needs delivered. We need set free. And then we can worry about where the nation goes, right? Once we get set free, we can start um, helping others be set free. Last week, we actually learned that, right? Get the plank out of your eye before you yell at someone else about the speck in their eye. Amen? So what we're really petitioning God for right now is that our church and our communities and our families would be set free. Come on, somebody. Where's my tambourine? So what I wanted to do is um, just each week I try to ask God who can come up and pray. So Bob Stauffer, if you'd come up and pray for us um, this week, I would greatly appreciate that. And then um, if you just share what you shared this morning as well, just about repentance. He's like, you're calling me out more often. I'm not liking that so much. <laughs> Repent, Bob. Okay, um, the scripture reading this morning was about kind of a, an interesting story. Um, so there's this prophet that an evil king called to, to curse the nation of Israel. Took him up on a mountain and he was looking down and he could see the glory. I don't know what all he saw. If you've ever, if you've ever looked kind of stood back and, and looked at what that might have looked like, there was a cross down there, the way the people camped. There was a fire. There was a cloud. I don't know what all they saw. I think they saw a little bit more than that, and I'll get to that, but um, he wanted him to curse the people, the people of God, and he said, I can't do that, and he wouldn't do it. And on the way... his donkey spoke to him. God was angry with him because he had gone with these men. And his donkey spoke to him. And so uh, there's just a number of things. But first of all, I think there was a lot of mercy because God was giving this evil king a chance to repent. He didn't. But, but God was giving him the chance, just like he gave Pharaoh the chance to repent over and over again with the plagues. Giving him the chance. Giving him the chance. And God is giving us the chance to repent today. Um, so, so the donkey spoke to him and I, I don't know what God wants to use today, but I think God wants to use something different than what we're used to. Maybe Joey, maybe something else. I don't know, but God wants to speak to our hearts and will we hear him? Okay. So the story goes on and the evil King did not get what he wanted. Balaam went home. And the king went back to his place. I don't know where he got it, but he sent the women out to deceive the nation of Israel. 
and they were deceived. Um, I think there was something going on in the camp that was beyond the holiness, beyond the pillar of fire, beyond the, the cloud that was covering them, beyond the cross that was seen among them. There was a heart that had turned away, that the hearts had turned away from God. There was a lukewarmness. They had allowed God to come in in a way that um, took them away from their first love. And the stuff that Joey was talking about here, the presence, seeing the presence of God. They had turned from that and they, they were deceived. The women came and they, they were lured away. They were sleeping. God help us. There's stuff going on in our lives that's standing in the way of what God wants to do. Phineas, the priest, stood up for the glory of God. And he killed the Israelite man that came in with the Moabite woman by running a sword through them. And God praised him for that. I say that to simply say that there's stuff going on in our lives that even we ourselves are not aware of and we're afraid to go there. And God wants to bring repentance in this church. As we, we, as we read that this morning, as just, God just raised up this prayer and this cry for repentance among us. So God, we ask this morning, I ask this morning, God, that you would move in our, in our hearts, in our lives. Help us to see what you're doing. Help us to see what you see, not, not what the kings saw, not what the prophets saw. Uh, Balaam uh, blessed the people of God, but there was something going on that was deeper. There was need for repentance. God, we turn to you this morning. Give us hearts to hear what you've got to say. Amen. Amen. So in light of that, this coming Wednesday, um, during the fast, every Wednesday actually, we will be meeting here at the church at 6 p.m. to break the fast together. And then we um, will come into the sanctuary, um, have communion, and then we will um, pray and worship for the sake of repentance and revival within our church's life. Amen? So what I want to do is invite every one of you personally right now to come out Wednesday. Maybe you're like, I'm not fasting. Okay, well, bring some food on Wednesday at 6 and come eat with us and pray and worship and seek God's face together. Or maybe you are fasting, bring some food, and we're going to eat and pray, take communion together. Or don't bring some food and just show up. Amen? So, look, we have, you know, a few more weeks, several more weeks. I'm asking for five more Wednesdays, 10 hours of your life over the next five, six weeks to come out here on Wednesday and seek God's heart and to pray for this church. And you're like, well, I don't like to pray out loud. Will it be weird for me? No, just stand in agreement. Sit in agreement. Agree in your heart. Agree in your spirit. Pray quietly. But come in here and join the body and seek his face. So Wednesday, 6 p.m., uh, last week I set up like, how many tables did Macy and I set up? Five? Um, I don't know. We might have had 20 people here. 
I hope this coming week we have 140. Even those who are watching online to our worldwide broadcast, <laughs> we invite you here. Amen. Um, if we can find a way to get on one accord during this season and seeking God's heart, great things are coming. But if we take this very nonchalantly, like sometimes we take our diets, right? I'm going to start next week. I'm going to start next week. I'm going to start next week. No, we, we start right now. Right now is when we get serious with God. Because next week is not guaranteed. Amen? We've really beat this horse this morning. So you ain't got no excuse. Let's get into the sermon today. We will be in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 12. So let's pray. Father, I do sense your presence this morning. Um, may your word um, do something. May your word bring life, Father, even in our faults, even in my faults this morning, may your word bring life. I pray that you give us eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, what's really unique is it's important to remember that we have to allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. There always has to be a surrounding context that we look at. So see, last week we looked at one of the most misinterpreted scriptures that Christians and non-Christian use, and that was judge not, thus be judged. So many of us have used that against other people. The world has potentially even used that against us. Don't you judge me. This week, we are going to look at another misinterpreted scripture. So this week's scripture is often misunderstood because people don't look at the surrounding context. What was going on before, what was going on after, and what was the author's intent, right? So let's read today's scripture, and then we'll proceed. Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, when we typically read or see this scripture, what typically happens is this, is what people and what I have typically thought 
is that this scripture is about being persistent in prayer. Have any of you guys ever been taught that this is, or understood this as being persistent in prayer? Raise your hand. Some of you. All right. So, essentially, and um, I'm back on trying to use or learn new words so that my vocabulary increases. So, um, I'm going to use it here in the sentence, so watch out. Because <laughs> I'm probably going to say it wrong. So typically, what people think this is, that if we are persistent in our prayer, then God will answer us. And you're like, which word persistent? I'm kidding. <laughs> if we show our import unity in prayer, then God will certainly answer what we ask. Import unity. So if we become incessant about seeking his heart, about asking him in prayer, what he will do is he will answer it. So it's been taught to me or understood by me the steps of this scripture. That if I ask, which would mean I present my request to God, right? And then I seek, so I seek it out. I give an effort. I seek out that which I've asked. And then I knock, so then I knock on God's heart and then he will open up his door. And because God's a good God, he will give us good gifts. That's how, I, how I've understood it. That's how I've used it. I'm just going to ask God. I'm going to seek God. I'm going to knock. And then because he's a good father, he's going to give us good gifts. Now, I do believe that that's also the case. But within the surrounding context of the Sermon on the Mount right here, I do not believe that is what is being talked about. Because if that's what's being talked about, God is a little bit, or Jesus is a little bit more ADD than I am. Because what Jesus is actually talking about in the context before and actually the context after is judgment. So you recognize how sometimes I'm talking about a point and then I'm like rabbit or squirrel and I take you over here which had nothing to do with what I was talking about over here, and you're just like, come on. I'm like, so you come up and tell me, hey, can you be more focused in your sermon, and what am I going to tell you? Were you listening earlier? Have you been praying for me? <laughs> right? So I get off on these tangents, and then I come back. That's not what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is very focused. So we have to interpret this scripture within the context of what he was talking about before and after within the same teaching. See, this is dangerous for us to take things out of context. And actually, um, that type of method is also dangerous to teach people as, as well. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. That's actually what people have used for the prosperity gospel, right? Many prosperity teachers, preachers, um, have used that to encourage their um, congregation in that manner. But it's dangerous because it's taken out of context. And another verse that's been taken out of context is actually Psalm 37.4. Uh, many of you guys are familiar with that scripture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. 
So essentially the way that that's been taught is, well, if you just love God, he will give you your desires. Essentially the way that this, um, yeah, has been quoted, anything that you desire, if you just seek after God, it will be given to you. But usually that will only be given to you if you say it in Jesus' name, right? Because there's also the teachers who just say, well, if you just say it in Jesus' name, it'll also be given to you. So John 14, 14, what does that say? You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So essentially what people have done is they've said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And then God, because he's a good God, he will give you good gifts. And then they say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then they say, hey, anything that you ask in God's name or Jesus' name will be given to you. Now I've tried all three of those and um, they haven't worked, right? It's not working. Now these scriptures have been taught to many people and most have been left wondering what's wrong with them. Because when they ask, they haven't received. Now any of you, have you asked for something and you haven't received it yet? Now, it doesn't mean that you, you quit praying, right? Another sermon within its context will tell us to be consistent within our prayer. But the context of John 14 is not Jesus being a genie. Rather, it should be understood as when we ask, we must ask in accordance to what will bring God glory. See, and sometimes... Asking God to pay my mortgage is not going to bring him glory. Because if I'm out spending 1500 bucks a month on the mega, mega million, what's going to bring him glory is for me to quit buying mega millions, right? So sometimes when we ask, we don't receive because it's not for his glory. Thus, John 14 is dealing with Jesus explaining his oneness with God, not giving us all of our wishes. But John 14 has been used that way. And also, people have misquoted Psalm 37. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 6. should be on the screen for you. Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. Your vindication like the noonday sun. See, Psalm 37 is not talking about giving us whatever we want. It's talking about when we find delight in God, our desires will change and we will want righteousness. Amen? So, do we want God's righteousness or have we misused these scriptures? Have we listened to some motivational speaker that said, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So you wake up and you read the scripture because you say, well, if I read the scripture, then one day I'll be a millionaire and I'll have a beach house. 
Or if I read the scriptures today, he'll, he'll do this for my kids. Or he'll do this for my business. Within the context of these scriptures, we've misquoted them. So I say all that to say, as we look at the context of today's scripture, the surrounding context does not make today's scripture about prayer. So, um, see, in, in, the, in the verses before, so in verses 1 through 5, here's what we see. Verses 1 through 5 deal with how we judge others in their sin, right? We talked about that, when they sin, in their sin. We talked about that last week. How do we judge others? So it's about judgment. Verse 6 helps us see when we discern or judge, right, some people are like pigs and dogs, and they don't treasure the gospel. So verses 1 through 5 about judgment. Verse 6 is about judgment. Now, in the verses after today's scripture, right, in verses 13 and 14, people will be judged based upon the path that they take and the gate that they enter, right? So many people live on the wide road and enter through the open gate. Those who live on the wide road and enter through the open gate will be judged a certain way. Those who live on the narrow road and enter through a small gate will be judged another way, meaning some go to heaven, the others go to hell. So it's about judgment. Verses 15 through 23 deals with the judgment of false prophets and the reward that they will receive. And verses 24 through 27 help us see the consequences or rewards of the foundation that we build our life on. So now that you see that Jesus is talking about judgment, how weird would it be that before he's talking about judgment and then randomly during his sermon on judgment, during his teaching on judgment, he's like, oh yeah, hey, by the way, these few sentences, let's talk about prayer and then we're going to go back to judgment. So today's scripture must be interpreted from the lens of judgment. Amen? So now you might understand why when you've quoted this scripture back to God and you're like, hey God, you told me to ask and you told me to seek and then you told me to knock and then it would be given to me and you haven't received it, you understand why it's not working. So essentially, Jesus asks us not to judge people from a self-righteous standpoint. That's what's going on here. But then he tells us to discern and judge those who don't treasure the gospel. So he says, don't throw your pearls before swine and dogs, right? So the question is this. How do we balance the two different types of judgment? Don't throw your pearls before swine but then also don't judge people. How do we balance that? Like, how do we truly know how to deal with that? And I am going to ask this question. How many people are cold in here today? Man, last week this distracted me so much. I saw people doing this and this and shaking. And I'm like, I know I'm not preaching that good to get pe give people the shakes. <laughs> I ain't that good. So, can we, we, Luke, we check that thermostat. See what that's on. 71, boy, I must be preaching good. <laughs> Those are just the Holy Ghost shivers. Maybe we can shut that door. It'll, we can hot bake in here. 
All right. I only care for y'all. I'm a little cold up here anyways. So it's selfish. See, Jesus wasn't doing that during his sermon. He was talking about judgment, and then he wasn't going to prayer. Judgment. So how do we balance the two types of judgments? And here's, here's how we can do that effectively. We must have a heart that is pursuing real righteousness in Christ. That's how we balance them. So as we looked quickly and carefully at the immediate context, somehow asking, seeking, and knocking is about judgment. So how is it about judgment? I think this is Jesus letting those on the mountain know how they can avoid inappropriate judgment. This is how we avoid judging others in the wrong way. We ask, we seek, and we knock. But when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, we're not asking and seeking and knocking for anything other than his righteousness to be over our lives. Amen? Because none of us can judge anything or discern anything appropriately without the righteousness of God being in and on us. Amen? So today, what Jesus is wanting us to know is to seek his righteousness. And the book of James actually reaffirms this. After, um, after James tells the audience to consider it a pure joy when they face trials of many kinds because they're being made mature and complete in him. He then proceeds to say this. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So what James is saying is, if you do not know how to be joyful in your trials, we are to ask God for wisdom and he will give it. Right? Likewise, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, if you want to grow in your righteousness, if you want to be able to discern and judge appropriately, what we are to do is sustain asking, keep seeking, and um, knocking, and God will grant it. Keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking, and God will grant it. Righteousness, righteousness. So when through the lens of judgment, when we judge others, when we judge ourselves, when we discern, the only way that we can effectively do that is if we have his righteousness in our life. So what we have to do is keep seeking Righteousness. Keep asking for righteousness. Keep knocking on God's heart for righteousness. So what that means is, since we all woke up this morning, what we should be doing is asking God for his righteousness. Seeking out his righteousness and knocking for righteousness. So this means when you fall to temptation, what are you to do? Keep asking. When you lack righteousness, what are you to do? Keep seeking. 
in any issue we face, God is wanting us, in any issue that we face, God is wanting us to ask, seek, and knock, to know his heart, and to become righteous. Why? Because he ultimately wants us to avoid the judgment that sends us to hell. See, God desires that no one shall perish. Amen? So he wants us to avoid that judgment that says, away from me, I never knew you. We are to be incessant with our asking, seeking, and knocking for his righteousness. And I ask you today, have you pleaded with him about his righteousness in your life yet? When you woke up this morning, did you seek his heart in his righteousness? Many people have suggested that each of these elements are different, and maybe they are. Maybe asking looks a certain way, maybe seeking looks a certain way, maybe knocking is different. I'm not sure. But here, here's, here's what I actually know they all three have in common. It's, it's our heart drawing near to him, right? There's, there, there's a petition going on. There's, there's a drawing closer to him. And what does scripture say? Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. So there's, there, there's this context within asking, seeking, and knocking is, is that our hearts are drawing closer to him. And see, when we face temptation and we keep on going temptation's way, is that drawing near to him? It's not. So what he's saying is when you face temptation, when you're going to judge another person a wrong way, what he says is, mm -mm, stop, ask him for help. Because James tells us anyone who asks for wisdom during a trial, God will grant it. So God, help me in this temptation. Help me in this trial, and God will give us wisdom. So ask him. And then to seek him, right? God, I need to seek you out in this. Where are you in this? And then just knock on his heart. Keep on knocking. God, hey, I've asked, I've sought, and now I'm so serious about this, I'm knocking. You ever, you ever been in, on one side of the house and you're trying to talk to someone? You're like, hey, Macy, I got, I got to ask you a question. And she doesn't answer. She doesn't answer because she doesn't hear me. So then you better believe I go on that mission to seek her out. Where are you? Oh, you getting beautified in the bathroom? I need this so bad, I'm just opening up the door. So I ask, I seek, and I knock. In our life, are we so hungry for God's righteousness that we're drawing near to him in every aspect of our life? Are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking? Not for retirement. Not for your coworker to treat you better. Not to get a promotion at work. Not for more hairs on your head. It's not working for me. Not for any of that. What we're to ask, seek, and knock on is his righteousness. Righteousness is a quality that is developed over time, so don't give up. There's this sanctification process that God wants us to walk through. There's trials by design that God has allowed to happen in our life, and I don't like them. If God answered my prayers, I wouldn't need him. If God answered my prayers, I wouldn't want him. If God answered my prayers, I would become my own God doing my own thing. So there's some trials that he has allowed in our life to keep us humble and seeking after him. 
See, the good part about asking, seeking, and knocking is when we do that, today's scripture tells us this, that God will do his part. And God cannot lie according to scripture. Verse 8 says this, for everyone who asks receives. You hear that? Anyone who asks receives. God, I'm dealing with this temptation. I want to judge this person. I want to pursue my flesh. What Jesus says is anyone who asks receives. So then the church and individuals today, we have to ask ourselves, are we really asking God for help? Are you asking God for help? Am I asking God for help? Is the American church asking God for help in righteousness? We're asking God for help in the things that we think he needs to do. God, fix the government. Fix my boss. Mm -mm. Just point the finger at yourself. God, I want to pursue this. I want to be angry. I want to be mad. I want to be frustrated. I want to hold um, grudges. I want to covet. I want to lie. I want to be more important. I want to lust. I want to have more money. I want to be greedy. And you recognize those things within your life, and we recognize those, and he's saying, look, anyone who asks will receive. So when we have the real conversations with ourselves, we don't want all the money. We don't want all the pride. We don't want all the things. We don't want to covet. We don't want to lust. We don't want to lie. We don't want to cheat. We don't want to steal. See, when we get to those sober moments, when we get to the bottom of it, all what Christians kind of want is just him. See, but, but what does Paul say in Scripture? As Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I want to do. And that's where many of us find ourselves in the conflict today, is the things that we don't the things that we want to do at the core of our spirits, we're like, God, I just want to serve you. I just want to worship you. I just want to pray to you. When I'm out doing life, I don't want to fall to all these temptations. I don't want to think about people this way. The things that we want to do, we don't do. But the things we don't want to do, we do. So we find ourselves out in wherever we are in the public world or whatever, just in our own minds, and we're like, I don't want to do this, but I just keep on doing this. But what the scripture today is telling us, just ask me for help. Ask him for righteousness. So our prayer should come to that. God, help me to become more righteous in your eyes, by your blood, not by my doing. Because we can't earn it, and we don't deserve it. And you helping at the soup kitchen or Seeds of Grace ministry, it's great. Thank you. That's not earning you more righteousness. Going to the school on Fridays, that's not adding to my righteousness. See, righteousness is a matter of the blood of Jesus over your life. Righteousness is a matter of your surrender and your obedience to him. He says, if you ask for it, he'll give it. I don't think we're asking the right questions. <laughs> we're not. 
See, the right question we should be asking is, God, will you increase your righteousness in me because I recognize that I fall short? Will you increase your righteousness in my life in this area? Will your blood pour over this that I would see the world and I would see people in the direction that you see them, not the way that my flesh desires them? So he'll do his part. For anyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Amen? We need to be asking the right questions. And the next part of the scripture tells us how he will respond to us. See, not only when we ask do we receive, not only when we knock, um, will he open up the door, not only when we seek, we find. But he gives us everything that we need and more. See, one of the biggest deceits and one of the biggest lies that we as believers or people who are trying to follow him face is to think that we need something outside of his presence. We think that there's something else that we need. If I just had this new blah. Um, Noah and Sylvia, some marriage advice. When your wife says that she needs new clothes, don't question her, right? Don't do it. And uh, <laughs> we're not going to go there. <laughs> because in my mind, I'm like, well, actually, you should. But experience says just don't. Um, point being, God gives us good gifts. He gives us more than what we need. God knows what we need, but we keep on telling God, I need this new car. If I only had this in my house, if I just made 10 more thousand dollars, if I just had these new clothes or these new shoes, or if this person would just forgive me, we keep on telling him what we need when we're missing the point. God knows everything that we need. He knows, he knows what we need before we even ask. So what does the scripture tell us that he does? Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law of the prophets. Would any dad give their kid a stone instead of food that is needed? I don't think so. Hey, Dad, I'm hungry. Okay, here's a stone. Eat the stone. You can't do it. Would um, any father give his child a snake? And what Jesus is really saying here is snakes were on the list of things you should not be eating. So, so would a good dad religiously defile their kid? by making them eat a snake instead of a, you know, the meat probably looked the same when it was all cut up, 
So would a dad be manipulative and defile his child and make them unholy? No, certainly not. In both verses, what we see here is that our earthly father, our earthly fathers care about their kids, but earthly fathers pale in comparison to our heavenly father. So if our earthly fathers who are evil according to Scripture, that's pretty hard to say, right? You're like, what do you mean my father's evil? Well, his righteousness in comparison to God's is not there. So what Jesus is saying, if, if your dad on earth can give you a good gift and your dad on earth is evil, then what does that mean? I'm going to give you something even better because I'm not evil. Every bit of me is holy. Every bit of me is perfect. Jesus is telling those on the mountain that God will provide everything that they need. God wants us to incessantly ask him for hearts of strength to overcome sin. God wants us to seek righteousness. And when we do that, we will grow in a personal relationship with him. And we are to knock, and God will give us wisdom, and he will make his home in us. What Jesus is getting at in this scripture is we shouldn't be searching for answers on earth that we can only find in him. How many things are we seeking out right now in life that we're searching on earth for answers that can only be found in him? And that's a part of the reason why we're fasting, is the church and leadership, and people in this world have been looking for answers and things that can only be found in Christ. Amen? In the Gospel of Luke, today's scripture is paralleled this way. Luke 11, verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So Jesus is not saying here that you will receive the Holy Spirit. Not at all. That's not what's going on. What Jesus is saying is when we ask, when we seek, and when we knock, God will increase the Holy Spirit in our life to help us overcome our inadequacies. He will give us the grace to overcome the temptation, or the trial in our life. Now, grace is often misunderstood. I've shared this before. I'll share it again. It's not incomplete, uh, or I won't sh share it in its completion today. But um, grace is often misunderstood, and, and we're reminded of Paul when um, he's praying about the thorn in his flesh. And he says, God... Um, or I prayed three times to God to take away this thorn in my flesh. How many of you guys have some kind of thorn in your flesh? I feel like I have some kind of thorn in my flesh. Now, the thorn in my flesh, I don't know if it's a messenger from Satan or if it's just my own desires. But what's interesting about this is God says, Paul, my grace is sufficient. So the way that the church has often thought about my grace is sufficient is what that means is God just allows me to live however I want. 
Now, essentially, because God's grace then covers me. So God just almost enables me or gives me permission to keep on sinning. That's the way I've heard that taught before. They haven't said keep on sinning, but essentially what they've said is, hey, um, God's grace is sufficient, so that means when you mess up again, God will forgive you. Anyone ever felt that way about that scripture? Come on, y'all are liars. You're a liar. We have. We've thought that scripture's intent was to say, essentially, we're all going to have sin in our life, and because we're all going to have sin in our life, what that means is when we mess up, God's grace will be sufficient, which is true. God will forgive us. His mercies are new each morning. But I don't believe when we look deeper at that scripture that that's actually the intent of what God is trying to say. What I do believe God is saying is, actually, Paul, I've given you everything you need to overcome that sin. That's when the pastor's supposed to clap and say, come on, somebody. God has given you everything you need to overcome your sin. Come on, somebody. Y'all going to help me today or what? <laughs> Come on, y'all going to help me? God has given you everything that you need to overcome your sin. His grace is sufficient in your life. His grace is empowering us to ask and to seek and to knock after his righteousness. And when we ask him, Anyone who asks receives, and anyone who seeks finds, and anyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And when, when, we, when we find, when the door is opened, and when God gives the answer, it's not stone. It's not a snake. It's everything that we need. Amen? And that is his grace. His grace is empowering us to ask for his righteousness, and he will give it. Likewise, when we sincerely ask, seek, knock, God will hold up his end 100% of the time. 100% of the time. He knows how to get us out of unique situations. 2 Peter 2.9 if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. God knows how to rescue you from your trial. Whatever trial you're facing today, God knows how to save you from it. That's good news, isn't it? Because you don't know how to get out of it. And I don't know how to get out of it, but God does. And now, one of the most misquoted scriptures again, or another one, he won't allow us to be tempted more than we can bear. Often what people end up saying is, um, what is it? How do mis people misquote this? God will not give us anything we can't handle. That's how people say this scripture. I'm like, where do you find that in scripture? God often puts the church in situations. God often puts his people in situations where they can't find them, themselves uh, their own way out. Just think about the story of Exodus. Scripture does not say that God will not give you anything more than you can bear. That's a lie from Satan. What does the scripture say? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 
No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So you're really frustrated with someone at work. You're really frustrated about the way that your thoughts are going that day. You're really frustrated with whatever it may be, the trial or the season that you're in. And you're tempted to yell at someone. You're tempted to uh, steal something. You're tempted to lie. You're tempted to manipulate. You're tempted to be domineering. You're tempted to do these things, and you can feel those emotions coming up. And what does God say to do? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and that door will be opened. And then what does he say in 1 Corinthians? Look, he's going to give you a way out. See, the problem is, is when we face temptation, we're usually not looking for the way out. Usually, you, no, we, we know when God's given us the way out. Every temptation I've ever faced, I've known when God's given me the way out. Here it is. I could walk away from this right now. I could shut my mouth right now. And then guess what I do? Nah. Nope. Not today. I gotta let my opinion be heard. I gotta get my way. I wanna say this. But he's saying, hey, if you just ask me and if you just seek and if you just knock, I'm going to provide you that way out. Because here's what happens is the things that you ask for and the things that you seek and the, the things that you knock on are the things that you go after, right? So if I'm asking for help and I'm seeking help and I'm knocking on doors, when that help comes in that temptation, I'm going to take it. Amen? The problem is, is we're not asking, seeking, and knocking. So when you can no longer keep your head above water due to jealousy, anger, lust, fear, or any temptation, turn to God. What am I going to say next? Ask, seek, and knock. Because when we ask, seek, and knock, God provides a way. Now you might ask, could it be that easy just to ask and God fixes it? I don't know, try it. Isn't that funny? Like, oh, it can't be that easy. Well, have you done it? No, nah. Are you going to try it? I don't think so. It can't be that easy. Try it. Test it. If you wake up tomorrow morning or when church is dis dismissed, ask him for his righteousness. Try it this week. Now, it can be that easy if we would trust him and if we obey him. The problem is that we often want our flesh more than him. Um, we, we must seek his heart. I put this scripture in here just in case I wanted to use it. I guess I'm going to use it. Uh, Hebrews 11.6. It's not on the PowerPoint. Don't worry about it. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly seek him. Are you earnestly seeking God today? 
Are you earnestly seeking him in your sin? Are you earnestly knocking on his door? I don't see it within the church. Like, are, you, are you stepping on my toe right now? I am stepping on your toe because we're fasting and I'm hungry. And you'll forgive me, right? I don't see a church that's earnestly seeking after him. I know it's hard to be here on Sundays. Um, I know there's different, and there's, there's no judgment either. So don't, please, please don't hear any judgment uh, with any of this. Zero, there's no judgment. But we have, um, I know we can't be here every Sunday. I'm paid to be here every Sunday, so I'm not even here every Sunday. <laughs> um, but we have a prayer before church every Sunday at 9 a.m. One day a week. How great would it be if we had 150 people show up for prayer every week? Right? We come in here and we pray and we seek God's face. Wednesdays, we're going to have prayer. How great would it be if we had people praying and prioritizing him? We have a men's gathering this Thursday. Men, whether you read the book or not, show up. 6 p.m., food will be provided. If we just had a church that was so hungry and thirsty at asking and seeking and finding to come in and pray and to encourage and to repent. What I don't see right now is I've, I, I'm actually, I want to encourage. I'm seeing so much more life come to this church like over the past year. Like life, like I feel like we're being re rejuvenated again and, and, and things are starting to align again. But there's been a season that we've been through where it was just like all about us, all about me, all about the leaders, like just our opinion, this worship song or that worship song or this preaching style or that preaching style or how you greet or how you don't greet or what coffee we had or what I, what I wear or what I don't wear, if I wear a hat or if I don't wear a hat. There's just so many opinions and it's been about us. And I see God doing some things. And we keep on praying for those things. But he rewards those who earnestly seek him. I'm asking you today to commit to a season of earnestly seeking him. Earnestly seeking him. In your Bible reading plan. In your prayer. While you're at church. In your thoughts at work. The way that you interact with your family. Earnestly seek him. And what we recognize is it's harder than we know. It's essentially impossible. But that's why he says he'll give us the Holy Spirit. He'll increase the Holy Spirit in our life. Those who ask, he will give. Those who seek will find. Those who knock, the door will be open. So today what I wanted to do is I wanted to provide an opportunity for us in this room to pursue his righteousness. to acknowledge to him that we haven't been asking, seeking, and knocking. That, that we haven't been pursuing righteousness the way that we, that, that we should have. That when we're tempted, we usually take our way rather than his. That there's been a, just a general rebellion within us. We've been rebellious in, in maybe many ways or some ways.
that God's given us opportunities to repent and we haven't taken them. May today, may this moment be that moment. So I'm going to pray. And Rob, I don't know if you can play some music or just have a song by yourself. Rob's going to come up and do something with his fingers or something with his fingers. Piano or strum or something, I don't know. He'll figure it out. But can we get right with God today? Can we tell God today that, that we're serious about righteousness? Can we ask God today? Not just in our seats. Can we seek God out by standing up and walking to the altar area? And can we come up here and knock? Say, God, I need more of you. I need your righteousness. I need your holiness. I need you. And I come up here, I come up here not because there's goosebumps, but I recognize that, that I need more of you in my life. Will you make that declaration today? So I'm going to pray. Then I'm petitioning you, which I feel like God wanted this response today. God wanted this response, not me. I don't get paid more if you respond. I don't feel better if you respond out of just uh, religion. But will you respond at the altar in honor of God? Some will pray, and you guys start responding as God lays it on your heart. Ask him, seek him, knock. Father, um, God, um, recognize that my personal pursuits have not always been where they're supposed to be. That I've missed opportunities to repent and to turn to you. So I just make that confession publicly, Father, that I need you, that I need to turn to you. So I ask, Father, that you would pour your blood over my life and allow me to be more righteous. Father, I pray that you would give me the power, increase the Holy Spirit in my life to seek after you. Father, may I knock on the door of your heart. And I pray that same thing for this congregation right now, Father that they don't have to keep on feeling guilty in their sin. But instead of sinning, they would just take a little bit of the power that they have, that, that little mustard seed, and ask you for righteousness. So, Father, I pray that your righteousness would be over this congregation today, that there would be a humility that says, God, I need more of you. I ask you for your righteousness, that repentance could take place, Father. Father, may we seek you out and may we knock. And Father, we just know that you are not a liar and that your promise is made to us that as we do it, you will show up. Now, Father, there's something about this scripture that says keep on asking. In the original language, you said keep on asking, keep on asking, keep on chasing after, keep on knocking, keep on asking, keep on seeking. So, Father, when you tell us to keep on, that doesn't mean it's going to happen right this second. So, Father, give us the stubbornness to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking, to not give up. May your spirit give us the boldness to keep on pressing in. Father, I pray that there would just be this sense of uh, holiness movement once again. 
that we will be holy and pleasing before you. That when you see us, you see us in the blood of Jesus in a white robe, just clothed in your righteousness, not in our facades, Father. So I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would break our facades, that you would break the pursuits that we're chasing after. Father, that you would set us free. Father, we break off the demonic deceit that leaders have been believing and our congregation has been believing. And we stand against the enemy and we say, you must leave. Father, I pray that as we fast and as we pray and as we ask, seek, and knock, that this church would be on a new trajectory. Father, that 100 years from now or 200 years from now, when we were like, we thought the world was ending, that people will talk about the movement that took place, that how God moved in this church and the whole world changed. Father, not for our glory, not for bigger buildings or more tithe or popularity, but for your glory. Father, may you be glorified through this season. May you be glorified through our prayers. May you be glorified as we respond. So, Father, move right now in Jesus' name. So God's putting it on many hearts right now. Your heart's beating. You're like, I need to respond. So ask God for the courage in that stubbornness, in that rebellion, in that sin. God, give me the boldness to respond. God, give me the boldness to humble myself. Respond to that right now. Father, give us the boldness to respond. Nothing magical about the area. It's, it's just a representation of our humility and obedience to you. So, Father, move right now. I ask that you would give us that boldness. So we're just going to remain in this moment. And as God puts it on your heart, you respond. And we're just going to remain here.
we're just going to remain here. So um, music's going to keep on ministering. We're going to keep on seeking God's face. Um, you guys need to sit in your seat. That's fine. If you want to respond, that's fine. If you want to quietly exit the back door, that's fine as well. But we're not going to do a step on our glory and just end it so God's still moving. So, um, Father, I pray that you would just be honored in this moment. And there's no judgment if you got to leave. Don't feel that way either. You're not less spiritual or more spiritual. We're just going to let those who are just being drawn by God to respond to him. So, Father, um, may we ask, may we seek, may we knock this week. So when I say in Jesus' name, amen, if you're not responding, just quietly step out. Wait for us out in the commons area. But we're just going to keep this atmosphere of worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>